Welcome to First Reading, the Old Testament lectionary podcast to help you get a handle on the Hebrew Bible, and if you're a preacher, to preach from it with confidence. I'm Tim McNinch. And I'm Rosie Candethal. Tim and I are PhD candidates in Hebrew Bible at Emory University, and our co-host, Dr. Rachel Wren from Trinity Lutheran Seminary, has the week off. The first reading for February 13th is Jeremiah 17, verses 5 through 10, and it's Tim's turn to lead us through it. Where should we start, Tim? Well, uh, maybe with a bit of context for Jeremiah the person and Jeremiah the book. Right, because those two are not necessarily identical, are they? Exactly, exactly. Jeremiah himself, the prophet, was a late 7th to early 6th century Judahite priest turned prophet who operated in the period leading up to the exile of Jerusalem's elites by Babylon and ultimately the city's violent destruction. Jeremiah was mostly a prophet of doom and gloom, announcing that destruction was imminent. Uh, Those warnings were a a bit of a downer, you might say, and made him no friends among the kings and court prophets of Judah. He was persecuted and at times imprisoned for his messages. And after the fall of Jerusalem, tradition says that Jeremiah fled into exile in Egypt. So that's sort of Jeremiah the the prophet. His messages continued to be relevant to future Jewish communities who preserved and expanded them over the centuries. So there are actually at least two major versions of the book of Jeremiah with significant differences. The tradition that was eventually translated into the Greek Septuagint is about an eighth shorter than the Masoretic version that's behind most of our English translations. And the order of the chapters is also somewhat different in those two versions. In fact, there's a, there's a stream of scholarship that's identified numerous layers of revision in both major versions. And those scholars conclude that Jeremiah, the book, was a kind of what they call a, a rolling corpus, continually edited, tweaked, and expanded over many generations. Yeah, that's interesting, at least from a historical perspective. But how do you see that as relevant for understanding Jeremiah today? Well, uh, This is the kind of insight that might not always make it directly into a sermon, but I think it helps to see how Jeremiah struck a nerve and that the core of his message continued to speak to generations way beyond his original audience. That helps me remember that our sort of exegetical task isn't necessarily to tie our particular text to a certain historical moment in Jeremiah's life. Our task is to figure out how that message speaks into our own moment just as generations of authors and editors and interpreters have done through the ages. And sometimes texts that have recognizably different historical versions can help us read the text as a kind of ongoing conversation. Huh. So is our lectionary text this week one of those conversational, ongoing passages? Well, as it turns out, yes. The lectionary reading starts in 17.5. But the first four verses of the chapter, which you might notice in the NRSV are laid out as prose instead of poetry, those are actually not in the Septuagint translation, uh, which probably represents an earlier version of the book. So at an earlier stage, verses 5 through 10, which are our electionary text, those continued directly from the oracle of the previous chapter. And that's important because that oracle back in chapter 16, 19 to 21 is about God's dealing with foreign nations who worshipped other gods. And so it could be that originally, 
Our text, 17.5 through 10, was also addressed to foreign nations, cursing those who rely on their own might, but offering blessing to any who defect and put their trust in Judah's God. Oh, so I bet the addition of verses 1 through 4 makes a big difference. Most definitely. 17.1 through 4 is a little prose section that turns that discussion about idolatry around and condemns Judah themselves for worshiping the gods of the nations. And all of a sudden, the curses and blessings of our lectionary text are applicable to Judah just as much as they are to the sort of other nations out there. Okay, so tell us more about these curses and blessings. Yeah, so that's that's sort of how this passage is structured, is as a set of curses and then a set of a set of blessings. This oracle takes the form of a wisdom poem, saying that there's two ways to go, and only one of them is the path of wisdom. The foolish path, the one that's cursed, is the path that puts trust in human strength. That path leads to desolation, so the the poem says. But there is blessing for those who hang their security on the Lord, says verse 7. They're like trees planted by the water with green leaves all year and fruit even in seasons of drought. Hmm. Like a tree planted by streams of water. That sounds a lot like Psalm 1, doesn't it? Aha, nicely spotted, Rosie. Most likely, Psalm 1 is quoting from this prophecy in Jeremiah. But in Psalm 1, the trust is specifically applied to the Torah, to God's explicit instructions to Israel. Here in Jeremiah, it's, it's a bit more elemental, more directly personal, those who trust in the Lord. So there are two paths, one that leads to desolation, and that's the path of trusting in people, and then a second path that leads to blessing, the path of trusting in the Lord. Yep, it's, uh, it's pretty straightforward. So that's how you'd preach it, right? Pretty straightforward. Two paths, just pick the right one. <laughs> Well, I think you're nudging me toward a (laughs) preaching pitfall with this passage. It's easy to oversimplify Jeremiah's message and to preach that if you just trust God, everything will work out for you. Mm. And we know that's not the case, especially in a time of global pandemic where countless faithful, God-trusting people have gotten sick and many have died. If you preach the simple two paths message, it's only going to give a false hope to people and and discourage those who are already suffering and grieving. Okay, so how would you suggest that we complicate or, you know, at least nuance our reading and preaching of this text? Hmm. Well, that's part of the deal with texts that participate in this genre of wisdom, with all that language of, of cursed and blessed paths. Wisdom is about predictable trends, but it's not the same as a promise of a particular outcome in every case. Reading wisdom as a divine promise is, I think, actually a misreading. Hmm. Yeah, that's a helpful reminder. Yeah, I think so. And I think that this wisdom prophecy still has a potent message. One of the most helpful lines in our text today is verse 8. The ones who trust in God, who are like trees planted by water, will not fear when heat comes and will not be anxious in the year of drought. This isn't saying that bad things are not going to happen. In fact, it presumes that they will. But this is a poem about the resources for resilience in the midst of dire challenges. Jeremiah's generation sure faced them, and so did the generations of Judeans who followed and continued to find meaning in this text. And we too, in the middle of our own dire straits, have resources for resilience. Mm. 
There's a mystery here in this text that those who lean on God for their sense of security, rather than depending on human strength, find a kind of mysterious fruitfulness even in the experience of suffering and loss. So really, that's the angle that I'd take as I try to navigate this passage. I like that. Uh, in fact, that language about resilience sounds a bit like a post-colonial reading. Uh, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, this prophecy arose in the shadow of empire, and it's an encouragement to communities who find themselves in positions of powerlessness. It, it advises against latching on to the powerful for your sense of security. Human strength is going to let you down. But God has resources for vulnerable communities, and they can survive and find strength, even in a world that threatens to extinguish them. And certainly the persistence of the Jewish people through the, through the ages of persecution is a testimony to this reality. And so are many other groups who have experienced and continue to experience persecution, colonialism, and other forms of social hatred from the powerful. Huh, wow. Who knew there would be such a message of hope in Jeremiah's doom and gloom book? <laughs> right, right. But I, I think that sums up Jeremiah well. He's saying things are not going to go as you would want them to go, but God is available to go through it with you. Hmm. Well, that is a great note to end on for this week. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure. Well, there you have it, friends. Another episode of First Reading in the Books. If you found our podcast helpful for your understanding of the Hebrew Bible or for your sermon preparation, please consider supporting this work with a one-time or recurring donation. You can find an easy way to do that on our website, firstreadingpodcast.com. Of course, if financial support isn't in the cards for you right now, don't worry about it. If we're helping you preach with confidence from the Old Testament, then that is what's most important to us. Past episodes on almost every text in the Old Testament lectionary are available on our website, along with cool first reading swag. You know you want a coffee mug with Hebrew on it. We also post new episodes each week on our Facebook page. We're grateful to Trinity Lutheran Seminary at Capital University for a grant that helps us along. And as always, thanks to you all for listening and interacting with us. Until next time, I'm Rosie Canethel. And I'm Tim McNinch. Have a great week.